0: Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa cypress cayman your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting harvesting happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. All righty then, let's dive in. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show where you will learn about hygge and happiness. The good life is always fashionable. My guest today is Mike Viking. Mike is the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen and one of the leading experts in global happiness. Committed to understanding happiness, subjective well-being, and quality of life, Mike works with countries across the world to discover and explore global trends of life satisfaction. Besides his work at the Happiness Research Institute, he is research associate for Denmark at the World Database of Happiness and member of the Policy Advisory Group for the Global Happiness Policy Report. His most recent book, Hygge Home, How to Make Home Your Happy Place is now available. And I am happy that Mike Viking is in the house with me. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. And sorry about all the long titles. I, I think I need a wider business card.
0: I love your business card because it's all <laughs> for me, it's all about the good stuff. You know, it's the stuff that we all want and we're all searching for. And right. as you appropriately said to me about, we were talking about the little black dress of happiness. What did you say? It's the one that Aristotle wore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you said, you know, it's like a little that black dress. Happiness comes back in fashion. Mm. And you're completely right. And perhaps actually it has never gone out of fashion and the reason why i said aristotle wore it is that you know he was yours and mine first colleague i guess i mean he worked with some of the same questions that you and i are trying to solve more than 2000 years ago yes he also said you know happiness is the ultimate aim of human existence and i think that still holds true today so he was probably more comfortable with, with the White toga, but uh, let, let's put him in a, in a black dress for today.
0: Yes. Well, we, metaphorically speaking, we understand <laughs> what that is. You know, it could even be leopard, which is now considered a fashion staple. But let's talk about the principles of huge and hige, huggies, whatever. What You know what I'm right. saying? Please pronounce it appropriately <laughs> so we I, all understand.
1: So, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard many variations, but in, in Denmark, we pronounce it hugge. <laughs> And it is essentially the art of creating a nice atmosphere. It's about relaxation. It's about being consciously cozy. It's about sort of the pursuit of everyday happiness. And of course, that exists in the U.S. as well uh, and across the world. But what was uh, uniquely Danish was that we had a Danish uh, word that described that situation. Now that word have gone global but Danes still like to think that we have a monopoly uh, on Hugo, uh, perhaps the same way that you know Americans think that that freedom is inherently uh, american Danes <laughs> think that, that hygge is inherently danish uh, and that is that is not true it's it's a global thing
0: and a thing indeed when you look at the research of happiness and subjective well-being around the world the properties that or the qualities that make us happy, are embodied by hygge.
1: Yeah, I think hygge is about sort of enjoying the everyday. It's not sort of the big, you know, big happiness, you know, winning the lottery, uh, getting married. It's about making the most of every day. It's about celebrating small pleasures in life. It's about connecting with loved ones. It's about serving good food for good people. I, perhaps an example would, would, would help. So in my first book about Hugo, uh, the little book of, of Huguen, I, I wrote a chapter about lighting. Because Hugo is about creating a nice atmosphere and lighting is an important uh, ingredient in that. Uh, And it's also why Danes, you know, we burn twice as many candles as uh, number two in in Europe because candles give off a nice, soft, warm lighting. Also makes people look nicer. We call it looking grotto fabulous. Indeed. (laughs) So there was a chapter around uh, candles and lighting. And uh, a few years ago, I spoke to a reader of mine, a, a Canadian journalist, and he had read the book and because of that chapter around lighting and candles he went out and he bought uh, some candle holders and he started to light uh, candles for dinner at home and him and his wife have three teenage sons and at first when uh, when this guy started to light the candles the boys they started to tease their dad you know dad What's going on with the candles? Do you want to have some romantic time with mom? Should we leave? (laughs) Um, But he told me uh, eventually the boys, they were actually the ones that started to light the candles for dinner. And it became this ritual of food and fire. And uh, I think the most important thing he said was our family dinners now last 15 to 20 minutes longer because the candles, the change in atmosphere, changes how, how the boys interact. So instead of just sitting down as teenagers do shoveling down their food they sit down they sip their wine and they talk about their day and i thought isn't it interesting how a little change around the dinner table changes how our family interact and that that became the sort of the, the the seed for the new book you know how can we stack the deck in our favor in terms of designing our homes so we achieve a higher level of everyday happiness
0: and it- I think it goes further than that, Mike. It's not only designing our home and our environment, but also our lives, right? You know, setting a more intentional roadmap for the things that make right. us feel at ease, calm, connected, the qualities that you speak of.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's sort of embracing two things. First, it is sort of embracing the, the old stoic sort of you know, mantra of understanding the the difference between what I can and cannot control. So I can't control, you know, there's just been an earthquake in Syria and Turkey. There is a war in Ukraine. There's been a global pandemic. I can't control any of those things. But I can control what we're having for dinner tonight. And I do have some influence over what is the atmosphere going to be around the dinner table. Uh, So that is what my focus is. And and secondly, you are a student of happiness and you understand that you know, happiness is both how do we feel here and now, and also how happy do we feel overall? You know, how is our satisfaction with life? And I think by accumulating and focusing on experiencing positive emotions on a daily basis, well, over time, we will see that hopefully will correlate also with a higher level of life satisfaction. So I think the small things matter. Our everyday matters. It's what we have in abundance. Um, and I, I like to focus on sort of finding a little bit of, of happiness in my day-to-day life.
0: I agree with you. What I find sort of speaking to what you're talking about, the candlelight, is the having these small little beautiful touches to our everyday life, like using even a, a cloth napkin or, you know, putting on soft music or the fire. If you have a fireplace or you can live in a in a cold climate, these little things also force us into the present moment
1: right and uh, you mentioned the, the fireplace and i think it's it's also interesting to see i've looked at i think it's google trends where in the us do people search where do people google Hugen? and i can see the further north the state is the more likely people are to google Hugen. i think it's a northern thing it's a northern state of mind it's understanding And embracing the seasonality, and and that's how Danes use, we use it as a survival strategy for winter, uh, to get something out of those sort of dark, uh, cold uh, months.
0: And when we look at the design aesthetic of Danish design, right, it's a very high level of design, you know, very crisp, there's not a lot of excess
1: to the design. No, I think Danes are probably more uh, minimalistic in our sort of design taste than a lot of cultures. And in in the book, I also talk about sort of pre-cluttering or or, or decluttering. (laughs) Uh, We we did a large uh, study at the Happiness Research Institute uh, a few years ago. We looked at, I think it was 13,000 homes uh, in 10 different countries uh, to see how different aspects of, of people's homes impacted their, their happiness levels. And we can see the biggest barrier to happiness or being happy with your home is having uh, a lot of clutter in your home. Um, size doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many square meters you have, but the sense of space matters. So decluttering or pre-cluttering, making sure the the crap we sometimes buy doesn't get into our homes is a good strategy for, for happy homes.
0: Which brings me to talk about how we design our lives right like we have these homes we have our families the the houses as you say tend to collect things that we don't don't need and when we talk about decluttering as a process for elevating that sense of well-being talk a little bit about that that what happens to us as we as we declutter
1: well let's first look at you know sort of zoom out a little bit because a lot of people sort of equate money with happiness and yes money does matter for our happiness because being without money is a cause of unhappiness going from low income to middle income big effect on your happiness but going from from mid-income to high income doesn't move the needle that much
0: not a hundred million more
1: (laughs) right and a lot of people will suffer from you know the one more million syndrome, right? Once I get to a million dollars, then I'll be happy. And then they get to a million dollars, and then I think I need two million dollars to really be happy. And then it's three, and then it's four, and so on. And with money, there is, with like with everything else, diminishing marginal return. The more you have of something, the less pleasure you get from an additional unit. So I had a piece of cake earlier today, which was great. But if I had piece number eight, not so great. And it's the same with money, right? The the first money you get, you spend it on housing, you spend it on food. But if you're already making uh, a lot of money and you get an additional $100 or $1,000, maybe you buy a more expensive bottle of wine. And that's not going to move the needle for your happiness. So I think for a lot of us, we have reached peak stuff for happiness. There's no additional thing you can buy that is going to impact how you feel about life. So it's time to focus on other things. It's time to focus on time over money. It's time to focus on how do we connect better with others? How do we live our lives better?
0: Let's take a pause. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Mike Viking. We're talking about his newest book, My Huge Home, How to Make Home Your Happy Place. To learn more, please visit mikeviking.com. And that's M-E-I-K-W-I-K-I-N-G dot com on Twitter at Mike Viking on Facebook, Mike Viking with the number one. And on Instagram, it's Mike Viking as well. We will be right back. And that is a happy promise. All righty then. Before we take that pause, I want to share one of my not-so-secret secrets for healthy hair and great hair days. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement that's clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Did you know that 30 million women in the U.S. are impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them like me, you're not alone, and there is a solution that you can trust to deliver great results. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of hair thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism through whole body health. That's why I'm a fan of Nutrafol, because it goes beyond genetics to target the factors that impact hair growth. In a clinical study, 86% of women saw improved growth after six months of use. Nutrafol has multiple unique formulas that provide exactly what we need based on biology, age, and stage of life. Each physician-formulated product uses natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistent doses for reliable results that I have experienced firsthand. More than 3,000 top doctors and stylists recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. What I love most about Nutrafol is that in addition to beautiful hair, the ingredients have helped improve my sleep, stress response, and those pesky menopause symptoms. Who wouldn't want that? A big shout-out of thanks to Nutrafol for helping me grow thicker, healthier, and happier hair. Now is the time to have lovelier locks and better well-being with Nutrafol. Just four pills twice a day, and you'll experience thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair in three to six months. Join me and millions of others who are celebrating great hair days with NutraFall. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code HAPPINESS to save $10 off your first month subscription. This offer is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $10 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, Promo code HAPPINESS. Now let's take that break. We'll be right back. Research tells us that happiness is good for our health. Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for nutritious helpings of positive goodness. One thing I know for certain... Happiness waits for no one, and at times, we all need a little support. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and at the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com to explore experiential online and on-site optimal lifestyle management consulting services, including recovery fortification and life crisis triage and we're back continuing the conversation with Mike Viking. We're talking about huge and happiness. The good life is always fashionable. Let's get back to it. So Mike, let's get back to something that you mentioned before we paused for the break about instead of being on the quest for more money, more stuff, more things that we think will bring us happiness, that perhaps we should be refocusing our attention on Creating more moments, creating more adventure, using money to buy experiences. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's it. Right. (laughs) Mic drop. No. Let's talk about
1: that.
0: No, and yes.
1: I mean, it it is when it comes to happiness, perhaps difficult to dish out universal, universal advice. But I've been studying happiness for the past. 10 years, I set up the Happiness Research Institute back in 2013. Um, and, and the more conversations I have with people like you, but people from I think I've spoken to people in, in 40 different countries by now, the more I see how similar we are. You know, we might be American or Danish, but we're first and foremost humans. So we can see we experience the same drivers and barriers for happiness. So so when it comes to us wanting to boost our day-to-day mood. In Denmark, we often talk about using something called the ABC for mental health. So ABC standing for act, belong, commit. So it means doing something active, doing something together with other people where you belong and doing something where you, where you commit, doing something meaningful. So it can be big or small things. Um, one example I like to use is during the pandemic, I met up with a group of friends in the forest uh, so we could be uh, together apart. And we were outside, we were walking in the forest uh, and we were looking for uh, edible mushrooms. So doing something active together with other people, doing something meaningful. I think that that's, that's one of the best tips we can give people in, in terms of, of boosting their mood uh, on, a, on a day-to-day basis.
0: Which has nothing to do with money.
1: No, and I like to look for and recognize activities where we decouple wealth and well-being. So understanding where do I find happiness that doesn't cost me anything. So removing the price tag there is on happiness. And you told me when we were uh, not recording that that you also have a, a love of architecture. And I think that also comes into how we design our home streets, and cities. I think great cities are cities where we can enjoy a high level of quality of life, whether we are rich or poor. So, for instance, in Copenhagen, where I live, I think one of the, the wonderful things in the city is that they have spent time and effort in cleaning up the water in the inner harbor. And it means in the summertime, uh, you know, after work, I can go uh, swimming with my friends in, in, the, in the inner harbor. Um, and that's something I can do uh, whether I'm, I'm rich or poor. Now, in all fairness, our summer lasts for about two days and then it's back to winter again. <laughs> but but those two days are quite amazing. And I think that that's what we need to do as city planners, as architects also of our sort of own lives and our own homes. You know, what do I enjoy? What gives me pleasure that is free of charge? And and sort of remove the the some of the power that money can have over us.
0: And it's interesting when you talk about architecture or how we design spaces, whether it's our our homes or the places of work or public gathering, the pandemic taught us a lot about design. And I think alters or altered the course of design for architects who are now coming up because all the spaces have to function for so many different things.
1: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of us also sort of, we got an underlining of how important our homes are because we spent so much time in our homes. We spent so much time indoors. And that was actually uh, also the case pre-pandemic, but it was certainly the case during the pandemic. And the places we find ourselves in, they influence, they impact how we feel. Uh, I think you and, and a lot of your listeners have probably you know, experienced walking into a room And feeling just sort of at ease, feeling good that you want to spend time in that room or walking into a place and feeling, okay, how the heck do I get out of here uh, in, in, (laughs) in a second, right? And we are not islands, we are not isolated. Where we are impact how we feel and how we act. and. There's so many studies on this. Take the UK. They have a a really great study where they have followed kids since they were born uh, in the year 2000. And now they're in their 20s. And they can see if those kids had a TV in their bedroom by the time they were, I think, nine. Four years later, by the time they were uh, 13, uh, if they had a TV in their bedroom, they were 25% more likely to be obese. Wow. So, the way we decorate our homes, the way we design our homes, impact our physical health, but very also uh, much our, our mental health. So, in the book, I like I like to talk about these different things, and also how we can sort of do little design hacks to live better. Uh, one uh, easy tip uh, for our listeners is they should um, redesign their their fridge in the uk i'm sure also in the u.s uh, there is a lot of food waste so we buy a lot of food and we don't use it in time and it goes to waste in the u.s i would assume it's over a thousand dollars per household per year and that was even sort of pre-inflation prices so in, in my fridge or in our fridge what we've done is we have what i call a retirement shelf so it's the most visible shelf in the fridge so when i open the fridge that's where I see the retirement shelf, where we put all the food we eat, we need to eat in the next couple of days. So instead of finding sort of those red peppers up behind the strawberry jam three months <laughs> from now, I work them into tomorrow's lunch or, or this evening's dinner. So that's a simple hack just to reduce food waste. And you know nobody likes to waste food. And uh, Everybody likes uh, red peppers, so uh, let's let's work them into dinner tonight.
0: It makes perfect sense. And these little life hacks do make us happy. Like, I don't know about you, if we're talking about, you know, refrigerator design, interior design of the refrigerator, when I use up the bottoms, what's left in all of those little jars of jams and sauces and things like that, and I clear it out and there's space, I have a happy moment.
1: Right. right. It's very
0: satisfying.
1: <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and happiness can take, you know, very, very different forms. And that's that's one of them, you know, scraping out the last bit of the uh, strawberry jam in the jar. I think that could be a definition of happiness, Yeah. which reminds me, we didn't talk about that, but a couple of years ago, we also opened a happiness museum here in Copenhagen.
0: Oh, I got to come over. I got to be there. Right,
1: right. <laughs> Let me know when you're here and I'll I'll give you a tour. It, oh, it, fantastic. It, it's a small museum. It's a a small museum about the big things in life, but my favorite room is a room where we have asked people to write down on post-its what happiness is to them. So that's where you could write the, you know, scraping out the last bit of jam in the strawberry jar. But, you know, it's so fun to read those thousands of post-its that are now in the room. And there is a lot of relationships. Uh, There's a lot of husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and friends and so on. There is a lot of food. uh, mom's apple crumble uh, pizza night uh, and then there is the originals like the strawberry jam uh you would write <laughs> uh, or somebody who wrote you know happiness is a quality lawnmower and a big lawn to mow and um, the older i get the more i get uh, that uh, that definition of happiness
0: being in that room I close my eyes and I imagine being surrounded by all that joy on those post-it notes.
1: And I think, oh my gosh, that is nirvana, you know? Right. I was actually showing the museum to a group of Americans uh, a couple of weeks ago. And and, uh, one of the the ladies there said, you know, you can't be in this room without smiling. You know, every post-it I see, I get why that person wrote that, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's really relatable and it shows us how similar we are across uh, uh, yeah, time and space.
0: There's one more question I want to ask of you before we go, for at least for today, and that is to talk about the Cézanne effect that you write about in your book, My huge Home, How to Make Home Your Happy Place.
1: Right. It's related to what we're talking about now in terms of how rooms and places impact how we feel and how we act. And a couple of years ago, I was attending a wedding in uh, France, in, in Provence. And during that trip, I visited the studio. Uh, Suzanne built uh, the painter uh, for himself. And it's an amazing studio. It has a big window facing north and a small window facing south because, you know, you need a lot of light, but not direct sunlight when you're painting. There was a good sort of a large vertical it seemed like a, a mailbox in the side of the room because they needed to a way to transport canvases in and out. It had wooden flooring instead of tiles, which would usually be in that part of, of France because tiles would give up glare and we didn't want glare in, in the studio. So it's a room that's just designed to be the perfect room for painting. And of course, it had an easel. Is that what you call yeah. sort of the wooden frame where you put your canvas, right? An easel. And it had sort of you know, their, their fruit and skulls and their bottles, the things that Cezanne, he, he painted in, in his uh, pictures. And I have no talent whatsoever in painting or drawing in general, but standing in that room for the first time in my life, I actually wanted to pick up a paintbrush. And, and to me, that was the Cezanne effect, that we can build spaces that impact us, that inspire us to have a certain behavior. And I think understanding that and harnessing that, we should bring that into our homes. So we design spaces that encourage us to have the behavior we want and to connect better with people, to eat better and basically experience happiness more frequently.
0: Mike, we're out of time and you have to come back. Like, we need to have these conversations <laughs> I will
1: Me and I'll grab Aristotle and 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 will be back.
0: Oh, fantastic to learn more about my fabulous guest Mike Viking and his newest book, The Hugue Home: How to Make Home Your Happy Place. Please visit Mike over at mikeviking.com and that's M E I K W-I-K-I-N-G dot com on Twitter at Mike Viking on Facebook Mike Viking 1 and on Instagram also Mike Viking. Oh big thanks. Big thanks and a big bundle of joy (laughs) from me
1: to you with this. (laughs) Thank you Lisa. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much.
0: Me too. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guest Mike Viking wishing you kind thoughts kinder words and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com kogenet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress Kamen, Andrea Mungeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck and Alec Gus in collaboration with TokiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange.